Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It was late. It was dark. He sat there in the inner part of a prison. He tries to shuffle around a little bit. His, he can't go anywhere. His feet are shackled. He lets out a, a moan or a groan from the beating that he took earlier. And there he is, practicing what he preaches. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, says, about midnight, the apostle Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. At this moment in Acts 16, while Paul was in Philippi, at that moment he may not have known how the Lord was going to choose to work at that time. He was in prison, and he was praying. Flash forward a bit, and now you have a church in Philippi. Paul's probably in Rome at this time, writing to the church at Philippi. And he's got something he wants to talk to them about, about prayer, about joy and peace. Writing, of course, after he practiced what he is preaching. So the Philippians, I'm sure, were susceptible to worry, just like you and I. You see, they had partnered with Paul in ministry. They had sent a man named Epaphroditus to help Paul. Somewhere during that ministry, Epaphroditus almost died for the sake of Christ. And the church of Philippi probably had some suffering or some conflicts and challenges as they're trying to do ministry and make ministry decisions. So Paul write, writes back to them. And he says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. The Lord, through the Apostle Paul, has something to teach the ancient church and the present church about our life of worry. So today, I want to talk about five things that you'll see in your bulletin, five things that the Lord does. The Lord gives us joy. The Lord changes the way we think and speak and act towards other people. The Lord assures us that his coming is near. The Lord teaches us how not to worry and to pray. And the Lord protects us. And those are the five things I want to talk to, to you about today. And one of my main goals today is to encourage your faith, to encourage your heart. Whatever conflict we as a church might go through, whatever conflicts we might go through in our family, our work, and then, of course, the other people that we'll be able to talk to throughout our lives and throughout the world and the conflicts that we all go through. And in the midst of the conflict, even in the midst of prison, if that's the case, Paul still writes in verse 4, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How can Paul talk about joy when there are problems? Here's why. Because the joy is in the Lord himself. In fact, the letter to the Philippians teaches us this joy being in the Lord because, of course, what Jesus has done for us. What does the book of Philippians say that the Lord Jesus has done for us? He's done this. Here's your joy. No matter what's going on, here is your joy. The Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins by crucifixion. For your sins to take them away. He did so on a cross by crucifixion. And then our crucified Christ is now exalted above the heavens, above every name that has ever been named in the entire earth, in the entire world history. His name is over them all. And we are in him. We are in Christ. We are in the one whose name is above every name. He is the Lord of all things. And the book of Philippians also teaches us that while we may suffer with Jesus, because the suffering goes before the glory, while we may suffer with Jesus, he will raise us from the dead at his second coming. And he will make these lowly, humble bodies to be like his glorious body. How can I rejoice in what's going on today? Because your joy, church, is in the Lord. You are in Christ. You are in the one who died, rose again, and is exalted above every name. So it doesn't matter what is going on in our lives as an individual, as a church, as a world. There is a way in Christ where Paul says rejoice in the Lord. That's how Paul in Acts 16, when he was in Philippi at the time, could just pray and sing hymns to God. And his feet are shackled in a prison. And what is he doing? He is rejoicing in the Lord. It's not, it's not as though he didn't, it's not as though he liked the shackles. He just knew he could rejoice in the Lord. And this passage, the life-changing power of this truth, this message that the Lord has preserved for us in his word, is because this joy that I'm speaking about today is not an external, put a smile on our face, external happiness kind of joy. This joy goes to the very depths of our heart. You can be joyful in the Lord in the very core of your being, even though everything around you falls apart. That's what this passage is teaching us. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. He even says, because you can do it always. This joy and peace that we're talking about today, it's all encompassing. It's the joy that is lasting and the peace that protects. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We can do it because it is not dependent upon circumstances. Let me assure you something today. If you place your joy in the circumstances of your life, 
eventually your joy will go away. Because circumstances change daily. Life changes daily. You, and you can tell the world, anybody in the world who puts your personal joy in life circumstances or your possessions, whatever it is in the world that you hold on to, you put your joy in that, your joy will change. Eventually it will be gone. But you put your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, that joy is lasting because Jesus is everlasting. Rejoice in the Lord, always. We can also always rejoice in the Lord. You say, but Alex, I have all these problems. I have all these worries, Paul says, and don't worry about anything. And as we read Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about tomorrow. You can rejoice in the Lord today. You're not worried about tomorrow. Now, this question as I'm reading this, this is I'm thinking about Everybody who would be listening to this today, I ask myself the question, but what if I have no joy in the Lord? What do I do? I have no joy in the Lord. What do I do? The day-to-day struggles even of a Christian. I want to give you two or three things if you're like, I have no joy in the Lord. Of course, first a disclaimer. What I'm about to say is about regular Christian discipleship. Of course, if you need help, of course our pastors invite you to talk to them more extensively. Because sometimes we just need somebody to talk to, myself included. Sometimes I go to my pastors and I talk to them. But as far as regular Christian discipleship, what if I just have no joy in the Lord? Number one, repent of placing your joy in the world. Repent of placing your joy in life circumstances and submit your emotions to the Lordship of Christ. I'm going to say that again. Submit your emotions to the Lordship of Christ. Because we say He is Lord of all things, right? That includes your emotions. Submit them to Him, just like you would submit yourself, your family, your money. Submit to him your emotions as well. Secondly, read scripture on what true joy is. The very next paragraph of this is another example. Read scripture that can help your joy in the Lord. Look at the front of your bulletin. Read scriptures like the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. On your bulletin it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Basically, everything's gone. What happens when everything's gone? The prophet Habakkuk. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Read these passages. Think about them. Think about what these prophets are saying about joy. It's amazing. You got to travel the world to other countries and they're hurting. What message could you bring? I don't have anything in of myself to bring. Prophet Habakkuk, 
Even though everything's gone, you can rejoice in the Lord because he is the God of the salvation of the world. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the entire world. That's how we can take joy, no matter what. So read Scripture, and then simply be intentional. We are not going to accidentally fall into being joyful. Be intentional. Read through books like Philippians. Philippians, there's a lot of terms about emotions and the heart and the mind. Maybe read through the book of Philippians one day and underline all those little terms about the heart and the mind and the emotions in the book of Philippians. So, so be intentional about that if you're struggling, like myself, about your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in a passage like Philippians 4, 4 through 7, there's a lot today that we're going to learn about ourselves, about our own joy and our own peace. But Paul inserts verse 5 that says, but we're not forgetting about other people as well. Verse 5 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. Now, this reasonableness it's a difficult word because it's a rare word in the New Testament. I found four other times. 1 Peter 2, James chapter 3, 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 3. Four times uh, besides this one, you've got this word. And, you know, sometimes we're thinking, what does it exactly mean? What's the nuance here? Because of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, I think the sense here is an idea of gentleness. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness, your gentle demeanor be made known to all people. Now, this is very interesting in practice. There's nothing profound I really have to say about what it means. Okay, be gentle with other people. But it's very profound when you practice this. Because notice, there was nobody accepted in this passage to everyone, literally to all people. Okay, so it's not as though I'm going to be gentle over here to the people I like. Oh, but but that person who did that to me or said that about me or said that to me, I'm not going to be so gentle with them. You put this in practice, it is life changing. There is no exceptions. And in fact, in God's world, there is no dichotomy between our own attitudes and words towards our fellow man and our relationships toward God. We do not get to treat people harshly and then just go pray to God like everything's okay. In God's world, and we are in God's world, not mine, not yours, we are in God's world, and God has called us to be gentle and have that gentle demeanor toward everyone. Of course, men, toward those in your home. Brothers and sisters, toward those in the church. Fellow workers, to those at work. We are called to be, have a gentle demeanor towards others. Now, of course, sometimes you have to be firm. Sometimes you have to stand for the truth on what's right or what's wrong. But that doesn't mean we can't do it gently. Now, he doesn't just say, let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone, but he says, the Lord is at hand. And I want you to see the connection between these two. The way you speak or treat other people 
and knowing that Jesus is coming back. I want you to think about those connections. When it says the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near, of course, the Lord is near to us personally. But the emphasis in this passage, I believe, is that the Lord is near in his timing of his second coming. And you say, Alex, please prove that to me, that that's what this means. Flip over to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Towards the end, he talks about a good work that will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is his second coming. Then down in verse 10, we will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Once again, we see the day of Christ here in the letter to Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And finally, in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, the Bible says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So over and over again, Paul has the second coming of Christ in mind. So when he says, Let your gentleness be made known to everyone, and he goes, the Lord is near, I believe he's talking about the day of Christ, his second coming. Now, you might think, but how do those relate to each other? Because we've got to connect them somehow. They're right beside each other, of course. I think of it this way. When, when we're talking to somebody, say at work, we're talking to somebody, and of course, something that somebody says or does at work sometimes can kind of get a reaction out of us, right? You know, for better or for worse, gently or harshly, you know, whatever's going on at work. But let's say you've got a vacation planned. You've been planning it for a couple of months, and you're, go, you're, you're taking me with you to Hawaii, okay? So we're going to Hawaii. You've booked it, you've got, you've got the tickets, um, you got the itinerary. I, I've never been. I, I heard it's a great place. And it's getting closer and closer, and you keep going into work every day. And then it's the day before. Okay? You know tomorrow. You got the tickets in your hand. Got the ticket in your pocket. You don't want to lose it. And you know tomorrow you're going to Hawaii. And you're there at your desk at work. The day before Hawaii. And somebody comes in and does the same thing that gets on your nerves. What do you probably do at that moment? You just brush it off. Eh, it's okay. I'm going to Hawaii tomorrow. It's okay. All of a sudden, the way you treat those coworkers, it's not a big deal anymore. Because you're going to Hawaii. You've got something that's coming. Much more... Jesus Christ says, I'm coming. Much, much more than that illustration, Jesus says, I'm coming. Of course I can let my gentleness be made known to all men. Doesn't matter what they say or do. In fact, it might physically hurt me. I don't know. 
Might even hurt my job. I might even get fired because of what they say, even if they're not saying it rightly. It's fine. I don't have to be harsh with anyone because Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, he will not only make all things new, he will make all things right. You don't have to defend yourself. Jesus Christ will make everything right. You now are free to love that person. That's what you're free to do now, to love them, to speak truth to them, to help them. You are free because Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is near. Now, what do I do if I'm thinking about regularly walking in this truth that the Lord is coming because That point that I just made is good and well, but what if I'm never thinking about Jesus coming back? What if that's not part of my Christian discipleship? Thinking about that and praying about that. How do I do that? Because it's not just, hey, be gentle with others. It's think about eschatology. Think about Jesus coming back. Think about that theology. So what do I do? Number one, take note in Scripture. Notice throughout Scripture, when it talks about the Lord coming, notice what's going on with that, what's attached. For example, in Philippians chapter 1, when it talks about the day of Christ, Paul is teaching them about ethics. That's how he's referring to the day of Christ, is about how you live your life ethically. So the first thing we can do as we read Scripture and we can continue to think about the Lord's coming is to know that it's not just pie in the sky. Like there's a truth that Jesus is coming and there's something that God is calling you to do with that. So notice each time you see it, what God is calling you to do with that information that Jesus is coming back. Number two, quite simply pray for the Lord's coming. Examine your heart. Do I want the Lord to come back? Pray for his coming. Those moments when you don't know what to pray, pray for his coming. On a side note, there was something very profound that I heard many, many years ago um, from a dear sister of mine, sister in Christ, about this topic. And of course, I think you can apply to the current world events going on today. But in this case, I was participating in what's called International Justice Mission. If you don't know what International Justice Mission is, it's basically a nonprofit that helps um, fight against human trafficking in essence. Um, And there are chapters in different schools and things like that. I was at a school, I was uh, participating in one of the um, International Justice Mission chapters. And we were learning about human trafficking and what you can do to fight back against human trafficking. And I was talking to one of the leaders, this sister in Christ was one of the leaders of that chapter. And after learning about all this, I just asked her the simple question, I said, You know, you see all the the evil in the world. And I said, I said, what can I do? I mean, what can I do? You know, I just learned all this. What can I do? And she, without hesitation, looked at me. And she said, you can pray for God's kingdom to come. That's what I could do. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting like, write letters and, you know, go overseas and and fight human trafficking and all that, which of course there are lots of things you should do. 
But for that to be her first answer to me was very profound, I thought, because there are children even hurting, even right now. And you think, what can I do? And her first answer was, pray for God's kingdom to come. And I thought that was a great answer to really any world event. Uh, Pray for the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, when we pray for God's kingdom, I also thought, okay, of course we want to pray for the Lord's coming when things in the world are difficult. Again, going back to things for us to worry about, things are difficult. Not only do we pray for God's coming because it's difficult, I said, but the flip side we need to remember too, we pray for the Lord's coming because of how great it's going to be for the church. At the Lord's coming, we will be bright and pure. In Jesus, you will be bright and pure. We pray for his coming. We pray for that day where the kingdom comes and we are bright and pure. He makes all things new. We are with the one whose glory is forever and is weighty. When we are with the one who is the true, true king of heaven and earth. So we don't just pray for his coming because life's hard. We do do that, but we also pray for his coming because we want to be with him. We want to be with the Lord Jesus. Now, if that's how we're gentle with other people, how does the Lord's coming also speak to, of course, this main center here in verse 6 about, about not being worried, not being anxious about anything? Well, Of course, the Lord has taught us not to worry, but instead to pray. And one of the things that struck me about verse 6 is this. When we think about our own worries, whatever it is that worries you, and you may have more than one thing that worries you like myself. I've got more than one thing. I've, I've actually thought about it, but I've refrained of just starting out the sermon and listening to you all the things I worry about. So we're, um, I I decided against that, but I could if I wanted to. Uh, All the things you worry about. And then, by the way, when you're preparing a sermon on not worrying for the last couple of months, do you know how bad your life gets? I'm just saying. Um, Okay, practice what you're preaching, Alex. Don't worry about it. But what was fascinating is I'm thinking about this, and then I think about what we as humans do. Just as human beings, what is kind of the first thing a lot of us like to do when we're worried? We like to go talk to somebody, right? We're going to talk to somebody. Now, of course, I'm not talking now about the going and getting help, talking to the pastor, but just just talking to somebody, right? I'm worried. Let me go grab a friend, anybody who's around, and let, let me talk to you about the worry. And I think sometimes what happens, because that's well and good, there's nothing wrong with talking to a friend, but what happens is in our worries, we'll talk to another human being, but then we don't talk to God about it, and then wonder why we're still worried. Because in verse 6, it says, make your request known to God. So primarily, we're bringing our worries to God. So that's what I want to encourage the church today. Bring your worries 
to God. And be specific. Be very specific. Something that's been very encouraging in my heart as I've been preparing to teach this is that I've just started to be very specific, very specific. God, here's my worry. Here's what's going on. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's my worry. Specific, specific, specific. And then we trust God that he's going to get me through it. I didn't say he's going to take it away, but I said he'd get you through it. Now, why would you say, okay, God will get you through it instead of taking it away? Because obviously what we want, we're like, hey, I'm worried about this. What we want is for it to be taken away, right? I don't want to have to deal with it anymore. But why would the preacher say, well, God will get you through it? Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that. God's peace is guarding you through the worry, through the conflict. Now, this word guard here, it's very interesting that that's what he's saying God's peace does, that it guards you. It guards your heart and mind. So I want everybody to take their Bible and turn quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And think about this word guard, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 11 just a couple of books back. Chapter 11, verse 32. We're going to see the same word here of guard, okay? Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, verse 32 and 33. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus, in order to seize me, that's Paul, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So you've got the governor guarding the city to try to get to Paul, and Paul escapes. So when we say guard, that's the type of thing we're talking about, somebody actually guarding something. Come back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's peace like a river and like a fortress. He's God, the God of peace, is actually guarding and protecting your mind and your heart. Now, when you think of a level of confidence in something, if you're going through something in life, your confidence should probably be proportionate to whoever or whatever is guarding you, to the power of the one guarding you. If you're going down the street and your loved one is guarding you, protecting you, you know, I'm a pretty big guy, I'm protecting my family. Just kidding, I'm not a big guy. You know, guarding, protecting, you know, you have a level of confidence, okay? I hope my boys grow up to be bigger than me. So you have a level of confidence, you know, you're guarding, right? But then what happens when the local police come around, you're walking down the street, and the local police are kind of guarding you, your confidence level kind of goes up a little bit, okay? This is the local, you know, Huntsville police, okay? Then Secret Service, the presidential detail, all of a sudden comes around you. You're like, okay, I'm up in D.C., I got the presidential detail around me. My confidence level is increasing because I got the presidential detail. Then... Now, I keep politics out of the pulpit. This is just an illustration. Then you got the U.S. military, you know, surrounding you, and you're like, man, nothing, nothing's getting to me. It'd be fine me walking down the street. I got the U.S. military 
surrounding me. This passage about God's peace, you church have almighty God who is infinite, who has all power, he is guarding you. He will protect your heart. He will protect your mind. It doesn't matter what the worry is. It doesn't matter what the conflict is. God, the God of peace, almighty God, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And your level of confidence should just keep going up. Not because what's going on right here, but because you know who God is. And you walk with him. You humbly walk with God. He protects you. He gets you through it. He doesn't necessarily take it away, but he will protect you and he will get you through it. So, dear Christian, what I've been wanting to do is encourage your heart today to not worry, to rejoice and not worry. So what do you do when you leave work at night and you just have no happiness? Things are bad. You're going to go home, perhaps to a little bit of family trouble. You have every reason to worry. In fact, you're leaving work tonight and you're already worried about tomorrow. What do you do? You preach to yourself. You preach to your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You preach that to yourself. That's what you do when you're leaving work and you're just worried and you don't know what to do. When the world gives you every reason to worry, my kids are sick, am I gonna be able to have enough money to feed my kids? Uh, Can I afford to support these missionaries? What if I hop a plane to some other country and become a missionary and I become like Epaphroditus and I'm almost killed for the cause of Christ? What do I do? Do I just worry about that? No. You just trust in faith that God's peace will protect you. So when you go out these doors and the worries immediately hit you, when you're walking out in the parking lot and you realize what you're going through, be free. Walk in the freedom of the children of God. Just be free. When you, on Monday morning, when you wake up in bed and you stare at the ceiling and the worries are so overwhelming that you can't even get out of bed, be free. Jesus Christ will protect you. Be free. God's peace be with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray through the name of the Lord Jesus in the spirit. And oh Lord, I pray again that uh, the people of Providence Baptist Church, Lord, whatever worries their hearts have, I pray that the message of the scripture What you have said, I pray, would minister to them by the Holy Spirit and minister to their hearts, um, that you would lift the worry off of them and that you would show them that you carry their burdens, that they don't have to. Lord, when you take their burdens away, they don't have to carry them. So, Lord, protect each heart here today in Christ Jesus. Protect them from the worry that they might be free to serve others 
to serve you, to do all that you have prepared beforehand for them to do for your glory, so help them to freely serve because they do not have to worry about anything. So I pray, God, that you would do that uh, for my dear brothers and sisters, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.